bum, 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 Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And if you know anything about me, you know that I love drafting things. I love drafting things. All the things will be drafted eventually. And we've reached the point now where I I think for the first time that since episode seven or something, we're going to episode four, we're going to talk, talk about film scores. I have a lot of uh, panelists who like film scores, and I uh, never do an episode about it. And so here it is. We did one again. It's a film score draft. My panelists are going to pick their favorite film scores in draft fashion. Uh, just a few rules here: uh, songs, pop songs put on a soundtrack are not a film score. Um, songs sung by lots of people in a musical are not a film score. This is the dramatic underscoring of a film, and we're going to pick a few of our favorites. Joining me are the following panelists in the order in which they will pick, as chosen by random.org. Guess who gets to pick first? It's Philip Michaels. Hello. Oh, Yay. my. Hello. And I, I, I just want to say that the um, the rule against musicals is some kind of uh, horse hockey. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. all right. Yep. All right. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can. That's fine. We'll do. But Phil, that is <laughs> what is going to set up the musical draft later. Yo. Oh, no. No. Right. Stay tuned for episode 810 for that. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm already prepping for the best gaffer draft on that. <laughs> The best boy, everybody's best. The best, uh, best boy. Uh, that's Dan Morin, who's going to pick second. Oh, hello, wow. Dan. Uh, it was my understanding we wouldn't be keeping score. Mm. That was oh. a joke about scores. It's fine. Wow. Just trying to that get on the record here. That Come hurt, on, that Jesus. That, that was painful. Drafting that was third will be Joe Rosenstiel. Hi, Joe. Hi. I'm sad that Dan is going to pick everything before I'm I pick it. Joe. It's the best <laughs> Uh, and it's not a snake draft, so that's just how it's going to have to be. Kathy Campbell is going to draft fourth. Hi. Hello. It's good to have you here. It's good you, to be here. You don't have any, you're not going to cause, you're, you'll cause trouble later. You're not going to cause oh, trouble uh, yeah, in the intro. Yeah. Thank you. I, 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 I'm, I'm holding back, you know, just got to keep it under control a little bit. I can't wait to hear what movies have scores that are not movies I've ever heard of before. I suspect Moises Chuyan will pick some of those. He's picking fifth. Hello. Well, Jason, you, you struck out musicals, so now I can't pick Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Oh, well. There, we Damn will it, always have that. ABBA's greatest hits. By, by the composer ABBA, I was going <laughs> to say. Hey, ABBA. ABBA. <laughs> Yes, uh, and uh, David Lore will pick sixth. Sorry, David, random.org hates you. Oh, that's that's okay. I already figured that Dan and, and Joe were going to pick two of the things on my list. They're just on the long list. I gave up on those. Okay, fair, fair enough. And then I'm your host. I will pick last. I also am uh, a charlatan uh, and a fraud who doesn't know anything about um, film scores. <laughs> and so uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the Secret of Nim. I wonder if that had a score. Anyway, Ooh. let us start in the first round with Philip Michaels. What is your first choice in the film score draft? Uh, before we begin, I, I'd like to just clarify the rules. If All I right. if I draft one composer, that composer isn't off the board Correct. for everyone else. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Correct. We're not God. drafting composers. We're drafting film scores. Because I was going to draft John Williams and I, really and screw you over. Punch <laughs> Phil in the face. It's not a composer draft. Yes. However, yeah. I will okay. point out that... that uh, 
since you can only draft the like the one film score i think technically that means that if you draft any james horner score you get them all oh zing that was i'm so proud of you jason oh man Phil, uh, you get to go first. Kick us off. Here. Well, with that with that rule uh, thus established, I'm going to go with my favorite film score of all time. Uh, I'm going to go with Ennio Morricone, and no, not the movie you're thinking of. No, this is Once Upon a Time in the West, oh, which is yeah. uh, a fantastic western. Some might argue, uh, if you're intelligent, the greatest Western ever made, and I, I would not uh, disagree with that. What is great about the uh, the Morricone school score for this one is that it was actually, I believe, composed before the movie actually uh, was shot, that uh, Morricone created uh, uh, scores for each of the four main characters, played by uh, Henry Fonda, Jason Robards, uh, Charles Bronson, and, and Claudia Cardinal, and they all have their own scores in there. Uh, interestingly enough, since the lives of the Fonda and Bronson characters are so intertwined, so are their, their, their theme musics. And it's, uh, it's a, a very uh, 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 great score, and I um, would encourage you to uh, listen to it, if not uh, uh, watch the movie uh, that it's connected to. So this is a this is a Sergio Leone western. It is right? a, yes, the Sergio Leone western. It's about um, oh, I would say about three days long. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> make sure that you are getting the original cut when they released it in America. They said Americans won't sit still for more than forty minutes, so they they horribly <laughs> cut it down. And the American cut makes no freaking sense whatsoever. But um, I think in this day and age, you're you're pretty much guaranteed that you will get the. Uh, uh, the original version that uh, Sergio Leone intended. It's a um, sprawling epic about the closing of the West and the West reaching its uh, its end and uh, civilization creeping in and the people who are not well equipped to deal with that. What's his his um, film that you'd expect that we would pick? Is it The Good, The Bad, I, and the I, Ugly? I, I, I would expect The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly because that's the one that everyone knows. Although I... I um, I uh, actually like the score for um, Fistful of Dollars a little bit more. And um, there's another one of his, um, there's another, I think, it, uh, uh, Italian movie. Mo- Moises can, can weigh on in this. Duck I think it's a man of no. Or a Fistful of Dynamite? No, this, no, no. This is a, like a man of no importance. It's, it was a oh, yeah. movie that, yeah, that which has a great soundtrack to it. But, well, uh, while we're on the Leone thing, because you mentioned Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, uh, the thing that I, I would say strongly in favor of your choice wonderful score uh I, I would say once upon a time in the west definitely all told is a much better score and the good the bad and the ugly is something people would expect you to pick because of that iconic theme but the rest of the score i mean it's fine nothing wrong with it i, I do i do like the song that they play in the good the bad and the ugly that's in the uh the final showdown in the cemetery that is a that is a uh a, a good score for the the scene at hand but i think uh once upon a time in the west has a more um uh, sophisticated score that actually advances the story and was intended to do so also uh ennio marconi's score for mission to mars is still on the board um let's move on <laughs> to, seriously 
Uh, Dan, uh, I think I'm gonna uh, controvert some people's expectations here because <gasps> I'm going. I, I gotta Gasp. play strategic. Gotta play Uh-oh. strategic this Uh-oh. early Uh-oh. in the game, right? Don't don't do it, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't controvert uh, anything. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what Joe thinks I'm gonna do, but here's what I'm gonna do: is I'm gonna you pick, think wrong. You think long. You think wrong. <laughs> I have. Uh, I mean, let's put it this way: any number of us have watched movies. <laughs> Yes, a number of us have watched movies, Dan. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Uh, but but scores that are much better than the movies that that they they accompany. So I'm going to go with one of those in this case. I'm going to pick the 2010 score to Tron Legacy by Ooh. Daft Punk. Oh. Yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant yeah. choice, and I hate you for well, it. That's a great it choice. It is a fantastic score, right? I mean, I obviously Daft Punk best known for their electronic style uh, music. There are many. I think uh, my friends introduced me to them in, back in in high school. I didn't quite appreciate them then, uh, but what is amazing about this score is that they kind of just like weave in not only their own specialty but they actually encompass like encompass all this like orchestral music as well that not only harkens back in places to the original tron's score but also just creates this incredibly vivid soundscape uh and it's a it's not a great movie but the music (laughs) is fabulous it's one of the best soundtracks of the last decade easily uh if not perhaps the best uh and i have listened to it so many times that i really cannot even count how often i've heard it it's great work music too because it's got that like uh very rhythmic uh like sort of beat that works in the background uh and i call out a, a couple of the like extra both a couple of the um uh, uh more symphonic orchestral tracks uh like outlands um, but also sort of the more uh, bass-heavy electronic ta- tracks uh, and tracks like Derezzed, which is like sort of a more of a traditional Daft Punk sound to it. But it's, I, I think it's interesting that they take the traditions of these sort of orchestral scores and they really just infuse it uh, with so much life from their own uh, style and genre of music making that it's it's totally unique. That's a great choice. I think that's a great soundtrack. I, I have been known to put that soundtrack on and listen to it because it is so good and uh, so fascinating. I think the movie's okay. It's not great. It's all right. It's all right. It's good looking. I saw good it in 3D and it, it, looked, it was spectacular. But yeah, it's pro- yeah, it's good looking. I think that's right. But and then I think yeah. if you muted the dialogue and just listened to it and watched the, and like watched it with just the music, I think that would oh, be yeah. pretty good. Actually, maybe maybe better. <laughs> I, I enjoy the Tron um, soundtrack to the arcade game. The 1980s, especially when I'm trying to get into the cone where the and and break all the blocks. That's very exciting. Wait until the video game score draft comes around. Oh yeah, oh boy, I've got a couple for that. Donkey Kong is number one. Okay, Uh, Joe, it's your choice. 
I am relieved that Dan did not pick what I thought he was going to pick. Before we started, Dan said in the chat that uh, he hopes that he wouldn't have to stab anybody with a violin bow. And that's because <laughs> I'm picking uh, Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho, uh, which I think makes the movie. Um, it is an incredibly interesting score because it's uh, one where all he's using is the, the, the strings mm-hmm. to drive the whole entire thing. You get uh, your little spooky stuff going. You get your dramatic tension going uh there are entire scenes where uh the only reason why you have any tension at all is because of the music you're looking at somebody driving a car uh for example and looking in her rearview mirror like that isn't super tense but uh because of the score you're drawn into it so that's that's what i gotta go with uh for my my first pick admit that before i uh uh started this episode i was thinking about scores and famous scores and the first thing i thought of was psycho i thought that is a famous Mm -hmm. famous score uh that i would be shocked if somebody didn't pick Uh, i'm a little surprised that it's you but it makes sense joe it makes sense it just means you have good taste i guess that uh yeah yeah good job uh kathy so i worked at a movie theater in college and when this movie came out, I would was uh, working upstairs and I would start the movie and I would leave it on while I went to run others. So I had this music playing throughout the entire area. And that is Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse oh. of the Black Pearl. For a movie based off of a Disney ride, it managed to pull some music more than just yo-ho, yo-ho, and a bottle of rum. (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me. Point of order. It is not a bottle of rum. It is a pirate's life for me. Whatever. (laughs) Get it it right, or you're not invited on the Disneyland draft of rides. Several pirates died so that you could watch their tale. Several wenches were auctioned, though not <laughs> right. anymore, because they changed that uh, part. No, that part, no yeah. definitely not anymore. Uh, but this music now is so iconic for pirates. You know, you hear any of it, and you're just like, oh yeah, that's from the Pirates movie. And you're just like, <laughs> oh no, where are the pirates? Basically. So yeah, it's also the first score that I would listen to on repeat like I bought the discs, the CDs and played that on repeat and I'm not normally that type of a person and so this immediately had to go as my first pick. Kathy, it was on my list. It was far Aha! it was farther down but it was on my list. Yes, I win. I win and the winner. And and this is uh Klaus Badelt. Klaus yes. Badelt. 
A Gesundheit. score which I believe is credited as overproduced by Hans Zimmer. Yes. Gilbert and or Sullivan are hearing that the, this is the song people think of when they think of pirates and going, damn it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they had their chance. They had their chance. Yes. Moises, your choice. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm stretched between three different options. Um, I'm also marveling at the notion of, of video game score drafts, theme park attraction drafts. Mm. Um, there's, there's so much great stuff that's, uh, that's come up. I I have a couple, I I have a couple that, um, that I feel like nobody's going to pick. And so I'm going to go with one that I think is the one that everybody listening to this probably would have assumed that Dan would have gone to first because we need to talk about it. Um, and that is the score to a movie called star Wars, not episode four. Not a new hope, just a movie called Star Wars, a movie that came out in 1977 uh, by John Williams, mm. which so indelibly affected mainstream film scoring across the board um, in in terms of how it married the classical and the modern and the futuristic. probably dissertations that are in their opening paragraphs better than I can probably encapsulate uh, what a big deal this score is, but it it's, it's, uh, it's effects have been, have been resonant in films that have copycatted it since in the films in that series that have come since um, in ways that, you know, when, when you look at a score that perfect, it's a matter of, okay, well now what do we do with this movie in that universe that has to sound and feel like that universe, but maybe a different, a different, um, a different flavor of that universe. Uh, that original Star Wars score is, it's, it, it's beyond one of the greats. It is, it is one that, uh, that is so difficult to, um, to not think of uh, when you're trying to do big grand scope, uh, you you can see the influences of it all over the place, and I'll 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 concede the rest of my time to Dan Morin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not as though I don't have some of these scores on my list, and there are many others to choose from. Fortunately, it's the upshot. But yeah, I mean, obviously the the it's the single biggest like you know sound, score revolution probably in movie history i would argue i mean the setting the stage for everything that came after that the heavy use of the leitmotifs uh like it's just it's not something that was really done in film scores up until that point and it totally revolutionized it and obviously we're as moises so aptly put it we're still feeling how feeling today like the effects of that um and, you know, it, it is truly iconic. There is n- almost probably no one in the world you could play that music for that wouldn't at least recognize it, even if they haven't seen the movies. So when, <laughs> when someone says the Star Wars theme, they don't necessarily mean the opening title True. theme. They they could mean the Twin Suns theme. They could mean the Vader theme. Yeah. You never know what somebody means when they say the Star Wars theme, because <laughs> it really is a tapestry of themes. Right. Yeah. And, and, and weaving them together in such ways that, like, he kind of 
darts in and out of all these different themes and and manages to evoke little thoughts and little things by just hints of melodies here and there it's just it's it's masterful obviously and we could spend the entire we could probably just have a john williams draft it, it's, it's fine i suspect oh, yeah. more john williams scores are going to go very soon so it's it, fine it, it was the it oh, was yes. the first record that i bought that wasn't a sesame street record um <laughs> <laughs> and also the first record I bought that didn't have words, and uh, and it ended up being the uh, first CD that my daughter um, wanted to get that didn't have uh, uh, words or lyrics or or, or or songs about friendship. Um, though, <laughs> honestly, Star Wars might have been improved if there were a song about friendship. I'm not going to criticize John Williams. Um, all right, David, it's your pick. I'm honestly surprised this hasn't already been picked. And and yes, I will continue the John Williams trend with something that is arguably almost as iconic, almost as recognizable, oh, almost as universal. Oh, I got it loaded right. up in my slot. Yep. Now I'm going to have to copy and paste it into your list. I know. Because <laughs> I thought it was going to be gone, but I have to pick Raiders of the Lost God, Ark. Damn it. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not just that it's it was, so it was iconic. A co- it was a coin flip for me, and I went, you know what? Yep. David's after me. He'll pick yeah, this. Yeah. Yep. I knew I wasn't going to get it, but then it came so close. It came so, <laughs> so close, close, David. I thought it was going to be gone with Dan. Once again, prove that there is nothing I can have that you cannot possess. Lore. Why did it have to be lore? Uh, no, it's just it's so iconic, and and it's you know the, in, in the way that he creates this uh, sound for this future, well, this past, whatever Star Wars is. Um, this takes the classic style of the serials. It takes the the music of the era, and it sort of reconstitutes it and forms it into its own thing. And you hear that trumpet fanfare. I mean, all you all you need is. Bum, and you know who it is, right? You know what that, you know, there's going to be a fedora. There's going to be a bullwhip. Something's going to happen. Well, or you um, accidentally start humming the Superman theme. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> when you pick John Williams, you get all of John Williams. It's just, it's one of those soundtracks that I play regularly when I'm writing, depending. And and some you, you might be able to tell which radio theater episodes have that playing while I'm writing them, right? Um, it's just, it's, I love that theme. It's an earworm. It's an earworm the way some of the great TV themes are. Yeah, Dan, do you want to talk about the truck theme? Oh, oh the desert, yes. desert chase? Yeah track that is a fantastic track it's very long but it's like it's perfectly punctuated in terms of illustrating you can picture every single thing that is happening on screen while you listen to that and given that it's a sequence that obviously doesn't really have any dialogue the music has to do a lot of heavy weight in terms oh, of it carrying does all the work, reaction yeah. and that is uh it's you know that is williams to a t in terms of like what he does best is like he is telling a story 
that is being illustrated on stream but he is like providing all the dialogue even the sound effects in some cases right like mm-hmm. the percussive hits and things mm-hmm. like that where there are punches and or indie falling off something and it's remarkably i think what impressed me the most about the raider score is how cohesive it is from beginning to end in terms of it is you listen to it sort of straight through and it's just like you're listening to like an opera almost at that point it is and and one of the things i mean the, the beauty of the truck sequence if you watch it with the sound off it's exciting you know stuff is happening but it's nothing without the music the music really is is doing i'd, I'd say like 60 to 70 percent of the work there it's so good mm-hmm. it is all right uh we'll take that one down off the board which i was going to pick i have to go somewhere else i'm going to go uh i made the jokes about him but i'm gonna pick him because this is the other one because this I, is the other one. i have to pick the uh, james horner score for star trek 2 the wrath of khan yes! i enjoy hearing it i know it I by heart it. i so when i hear other films that he's scored um especially the rocketeer honestly i'm like Oh, yeah, Star Trek 2 is in there. Uh, happens a lot because he does recycle sort of uh, different motifs and things. But Star Trek 2, The Rathicon, I love that theme. I think one of the amazing things about it is that after Star Trek The Motion Picture, which ha- itself has a pretty spectacular score um, by Jerry Goldsmith, that Star Trek 2 sounds completely different and yet still retains kind of a majesty. Um, and it's got some amazing dramatic moments in my favorite space battle of probably any science fiction movie, which is Khan uh, ambushing the Enterprise. And it's uh, very dramatic, lots of uh, loud clanging and things, and then a very uh, <laughs> cool down to a, a, a very uh, tense moment. Love it throughout. Sad stuff at the end because uh, Mr. Spock dies at the end of Star Trek 2. Sorry, spoilers. spoilers. What? What? Jason. Damn it. Jason. Yeah, I know. A surprise attack is probably the uh, most played track of any one particular soundtrack that I have on my mm-hmm. iTunes history. I don't know. Uh, it, but it, but I, I just love that cue. It is it is great. Uh, Battle in Mutara Nebula is wonderful as well um, and much more complicated and nuanced, but I just love the the dramatic uh, tension, like you said, the explosive dramatic tension of uh, Surprise Attack. And there is a moment actually in, the, in that Surprise Attack where Spock points at a screen to show where um, where Khan has attacked the Enterprise, and there is a, I want to say it might be a tuba, I don't know, it is a deep horn that plays a mm-hmm. dirge, every, literally every yeah. time he points at the screen to, to show the wounds on the ship, there's a bomb, 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 it's amazing, I love it, it's great. It, it was. It's like a proto bwamp. Yeah. The 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 Price is Right sad trombone. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the Khan has killed us all. Sad trombone. Yeah. I was actually just listening to this score the other day. Uh, like like I think last night actually. Um, and it's for me, it's not one of my top 
corner scores, if only because I came to it much later in life, like well after I'd seen the movie. I didn't really like spend a lot of time listening to it in isolation. And so it's never stuck with me as much. But yeah, you're totally right that the DNA of so much of his other work is is in there. And it, it's a solid score. It just it's one of those ones that I, every time I forget about and then I go back and listen, you go, oh, yeah, this is a pretty yeah. good score. Yeah. Good, uh, good use of the uh, Alexander Courage. I, I think he does yeah. the, does mm-hmm. right by Alexander Courage's original theme, too, at several yeah. points. I mean, this this was the other one that I could have sworn was going to get picked before I got there. And if I hadn't picked Raiders, this was going to be right. my next pick. Right. That's fair. Um, and it's it's the first CD I bought. And again, I list, this is one of those that I listen to over and over again when I'm writing. Uh, it is just the, the thing that amazes me about it is that he apparently came in very late and wrote it in like weeks. It's it, it was just a very fast score. And it's before he wrote all the rest of his scores that are the same score. So it's like it's like the <laughs> it's seed. The touchstone. It's the yes, touchstone. It's the, it's the, yeah. the wellspring from everything which everything comes from, from it. which he draws. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hey, everyone. David J. Lore here. And I want to tell you about an event that's coming up real soon. On Friday, November 2nd, 2018, we're bringing the incomparable radio theater to the stage at Feinstein's 54 Below, Broadway's Supper Club in the heart of the theater district in Midtown Manhattan. We'll be featuring Dan Morin as The Fog, solving a musical murder mystery. And of course, we'll have a word from our sponsor, Chalk Full of Coffee. Say it with me now, the coffee with the extra special secret ingredient, more coffee. Best of all, we even have an original score. Because when you're in New York, you gotta have some songs. So come, have a drink, have some food, see the show, come say hi. It's a great venue. It's a small venue. It's a restored speakeasy under what used to be Studio 54. It's really nice. For tickets, go to 54below.com and search for the Incomparable Radio Theater. Or just follow the link in the show notes. If you want to save $5 off the cover charge, use the code SNELL5. That's right, SNELL5. That's either Jason's Maroon 5 cover band or an elite special ops team. Heck, it could be both. So, the incomparable radio theater, Feinstein's 54 Below, Friday, November 2nd at 9.30 p.m. I hope we see you there. All right, uh, we uh, we have completed one round. We will go around again now because uh, that's just what happens. So, Phil, it's your choice again. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, for this pick. Uh, kind of a one-hit wonder. Um, maybe someone you haven't heard of. His name is John Williams. What? And, um, <laughs> I think I, someone someone's may have talked about Surely him. you mean William Johns. Yes. <laughs> Arthur William. Yeah, Johnny um, Williams, the guitar player. Yep. Yes, noted French composer. And, <laughs> Johnny um, Williams, the Gilligan's Island score. The, uh, the original Gilligan's Island score. Very true, good. And true also uh, Lost in Space. Uh-huh. The, and, the second Lost in Space theme is basically the Jurassic Park theme. And and this is basically um, uh, of that era, but not a really well-known score of his. I'm going to go with The Long Goodbye, um, yeah. which I find delightful. And um, the great thing oh. about The Long Goodbye is it's just one song played over and over again. <laughs> However, it's played over and over again in a thousand different styles. It's mm. uh, when... Uh, when uh, 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 Marlowe goes into a uh, like grocery store, it's plain as Muzak. When he goes when he goes down to Mexico to investigate something, a mariachi band strolls by playing it. When he's uh, in a bar 
guitar. There's a torch singer uh, uh, singing it. It, it. it is just a brilliant thing, and I'm sure I, I've told this before on the podcast, but uh, uh, a good story is worth telling over and over again until everyone is sick of it. Um, you, <laughs> If you uh, go and see the latest Star Wars movie, not Solo, but the one before that, um, he is in the, uh, in the casino scene. Um, they use a snippet of the uh, uh, long goodbye, the you know the casino scene that everyone loves um, in that movie. Um, so it, it, it's in there as well. It's a, a, a really good score. I know that Robert Altman is not everyone's cup of tea on this podcast, but uh, it's my favorite Robert Altman movie and um, uh, a really good uh, soundtrack by John Williams there. I, I laughed out loud in the casino scene in, in The Last Jedi and people around me were like, what? Like, yeah. The music, the music. Oh. And, and really not a, a soundtrack you would associate with John Williams, because mm. it's not the big uh, guy with a timpani and, and <laughs> a, a thousand strings. It's this, uh, it's this uh, little seedy 1950s torch song that, that they just reuse again and again. All right, John Williams. Uh, we are continuing now with the John Williams draft, I guess. Uh, Dan? <laughs> well, you called it. Uh, what? What? <laughs> No, come on. Uh, well, I mean, I ha- so the reason I didn't pick Star Wars as Moises did <laughs> is because... Tell me, Dan Morin, your cunning plan. Is because uh, I was going to pick the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. So <laughs> let's just discuss that for a moment. Okay. Uh, oh, you monster. And and there you have why one reason that it is uh, yeah. arguably more iconic in some ways than even the original Star Wars score is that this is the movie that introduces the Imperial March, which is one of the most iconic themes. Uh, it also introduces Yoda's theme. Uh, you've got beautiful work done in Cloud City. Um, you've got the Battle of Hoth as a like really quite long suite here. What I like about it is the similar to what, what I like about the Raiders score, which is that it's incredibly consistent all the way through. Again, it's almost operatic. I read at some point, you know, so Empire is a two and a half hour movie. There's only like 40 minutes of dialogue in the movie. So a lot of that movie, most of that movie wow. is music. And it shows from the asteroid field uh, chase all the way, you know, up through Luke's and Vader's fight towards the end, which is sort of sporadically got dialogue in it. Um, and I, I think that this is just so cohesive as a as a single piece of music. Uh, the the box set, there's a box set from around 1996 or 7 that had a mm-hmm. four CD set of all the original, like, uh, music. I have that. Uh, including, I yeah. And it, uh, so I, that was like the first CDs I ever bought. I remember driving, mm. I literally remember I got my driver's license, like, and I went and I drove to Circuit City and bought the box set <laughs> CDs. Totally dating myself now. Uh, but hey, it, hey now. There is so much um, uh, great music in specifically in the Empire uh, soundtrack and score that I, I just for me, it is what defines so much of it because it's not just 
um there's so much like a uh, new work trailblazed in star wars but star wars to me feels a little bit all over the place at times so it's not quite as of a piece as the later scores are and you know certainly that's because it was a movie that went out there and nobody knew it was going to be so big so nobody really was like oh well we'll be making these for the next 40 years <laughs> and so empire sort of the score for that really sets the tone for what the rest of this franchise is going to sound like all the way up through episode eight. Uh, and for me, it's really what solidifies that this is going to be, yes, this is this kind of music is here to stay and we're going to make it more complex and we're going to really tie all these things together. So I had to pick a John Williams one there. I just, I, I ran some numbers before I got on the podcast here and of my <laughs> iTunes library, I have 409 John Williams tracks, which is about 8% wow. of my iTunes library. Wow. Dan, you have never been more on brand than by picking John Williams and the Empire Strikes Back. I had to I, do I it. Also I also love how incredibly polite he is throwing shade on. Yeah, I was going to do that, Moises. Here's why I didn't do that. I'm a child. I'm choosing a better option. I'm strategic. You got to be strategic about what you pick. Moises, you know, it's a perfectly reasonable thing. For example, I have a Star Wars soundtrack on my list, too, and it's neither of those. So, you know, it's okay. Is it wrong if my list is just all Star Wars soundtracks? Is that not cool? I guess that could happen. Joe Steele, what what do you have? What Star Wars movie do you? want to pick <laughs> well i'm not i'm not picking uh, i'm not picking return of the jedi unfortunately uh to, to round out those three um it's a little little choppy uh and i'll leave yub it up for you okay okay all right we get it you're picking uh phantom menace don't be so cruel to jason uh, w- what i'm actually going to do is uh go for alan silvestri's score for back to the future mm-hmm. um oh, i nice. I really like it. Uh, it is mostly just the same thing repeated a thousand different ways uh, throughout the rest of the score, but it, uh, it, it really uh, has a memorable, hummable, sticks in your brain um, uh, me- melody to it, and uh, I, I gotta go with it. I like it a lot. I will say I don't I don't own the Back to the Future score, but I do own the Back to the Future 2 score. <laughs> which is mostly just the Back to the Future score again. You're just all about second movies, aren't you? I really you know what? You gotta you gotta get a movie in before I'm really sold on it. Good old sequel Dan. Sequel Dan. <laughs> Let me tell you about my second book coming out next year. Aliens, Weekend at Bernie's 2. Yeah, Tron Legacy. <laughs> all of those. Um he's got it covered. Uh Kathy, on to you. Yeah, so I actually didn't put any Star Wars on my list because I knew it would be covered by everyone else on Mm -hmm. this. So I was like, you know what? I'm not even going there. Instead, I'm going to go way back to 1939 and a little film called Gone with the Wind. Never heard of it. Can you 
Confederate fetishization. (laughs) (laughs) Thematically a problematic movie. It's another movie that is, um, as Phil said, 4,000 days long. (laughs) Right. Uh, And uh, apparently Max Steiner wrote three hours worth of music. Jeez. And still was an hour short. Of which two hours and 36 minutes were used in the film. Um, But it just, like, iconic. Everyone knows it. You can't hear it and not immediately think of horrible civil war era <laughs> terribleness but pretty dresses let's talk about uh-huh. the pretty dresses <laughs> so yes gone with the wind i love the way it drapes on her okay all right laura we warned you <laughs> yes <laughs> that's it, is. it. it's curtains for me it, it huh? is i looked it up it's four oh. hours if you include the overture um and the intermission which you should for this which you should for right. this dress, right it's yes. a huge just an enormous amount of uh of music well, with God as our witness, we'll never run out of music again. Mm. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tomorrow's another score. Grabbed by Kathy. Moises, you're up. Um, I'm going back in time as well uh, to, uh, to uh, I, I want to say, uh, w- I'm pretty sure that we covered uh, Carol Reads the Third Man uh-huh. on Old Movie Club at we some did. point. Anton mm-hmm. Karras' uh, score for the Third Man. Um, I mean, it sure, it, I mean, it made the zither happen in a way that Fetch never did. Um, <laughs> And uh, and the, everyone is in a dither for his zither, yeah. I believe, as we <laughs> mentioned in that podcast. The thing that the thing that I love about it is that for me it, it is the iconic. Um, uh, understated score. It, it it isn't doing a ton of different things all at once. There aren't a bunch of sweeping flourishes. I love me a sweeping flourish. Don't get me wrong, um, but there there is something to simple and uh, memorable and and not something that that you can start humming and accidentally start humming something else. Um, it, it's distinctive. It's unique. It's uh, it's lovely. It's great. And if if you don't like uh, if you don't like the zither, do not come hither. <laughs> Wither the zither. I, I would just dis- I would dispute the one point about b- it being understated, and it, it is to a certain extent. But for <laughs> much of the movie, the, the zither will just be it in the oppressive. And and then something uh, dramatic will happen. The zither will go. Okay, zither, we get it. We're paying attention to the movie. It is an incredibly indelible score the third man <laughs> and like me somewhat insufferable well you're fine for a while and then all of a sudden you we get it we get it david well i'm kind of torn i, I kind of want to pick a john williams score but i'll be good i'll save that one uh no this is another one of these scores that i i bought the cd after i saw the movie not a great movie it's fine it's a thriller it's got tom cruise i saw it in the theater I was dragged to it, but the score is really nice. Um, the The original soundtrack album only has like a fraction of the score, but they released many years later in I think twenty fifteen they released a full version of the score that included the other album as part of it. Uh, it's Dave Grusin's score for the Firm, and it creates a really interesting energy for this thriller. Right? It's this, you know fast-paced legal thriller he's being chased he's being hunted and and it's this really jazzy score 
you listen to it straight through, it sort of tells a story. I don't know that it tells the story of the firm, <laughs> but it it has a nice ebb and flow and rise and fall, and it builds and builds and comes back down. It's it's a lovely piece of music. By the way, the firm notable because it's the movie where Tom Cruise kicks Wilford Brimley to death. So, ah, yes. I mean, that's not a bad thing. You can check that no. out. That's um, I get I get paid to be suspicious about things I shouldn't be suspicious about. <laughs> <laughs> Diabetes. <laughs> the uh, let's. I will pick my uh, my second pick here. It is one of my very favorite scores, and I'm glad it's still there. It pays homage to a bunch of classic James Bond scores. The John Barry vibe is strong. I love it on its own. It's infectious. I love all the tracks on Michael Giacchino's soundtrack to The Incredibles. The Incredibles. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> I love it. That's on my list. Crossing it off. I like the I like the the main theme, but there uh, which which does replay at various points in various different styles. It's jazzy. It's very old James Bond in a way. Um, it's got a lot of uh, nice, uh, almost kind of Mission Impossible notes at various quiet mm-hmm. points. It's uh, it's loud when it when it needs to be uh, over the top when it needs to be, and uh, and has a great personality to it that fits the kind of outsized personalities of the characters in the movies so um it, it is yeah that was that was a moment like i love the movie it is my favorite pixar movie but the score is also like perhaps my favorite score i i think it's spectacular it's my favorite pixar score it's uh, it's the only pixar score that i own um and it was it was i was torn between that and the firm for my next choice so oh david yeah I know. I left. I left that for you. Thanks for I went, picking Wilford Brimley. I went, I went jazzy. <laughs> no one else has ever said that ever. <laughs> <laughs> one of the aliens in Cocoon might have said it. M- M- Mrs. Brimley, presumably. <laughs> but um, uh, I would encourage listeners within the sound of my voice because I think this is. Um, it's still not behind the paywall, but Michael Gian Giacchino? Giacchino. 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 He he was a guest on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, and it is fantastic oh, if you yeah, are a yeah, fan yeah. of uh, of uh, musical scores, because he talks a lot about the history of scores and music that inspires him, and it's a, it's a really good interview. Hunt that down. I am extremely mixed on his scores in general. There are some that I like, but a lot of which I find kind of underwhelming. But having watched, there was a dissection of his score for Rogue One, which he wrote in like an incredibly short amount of time because like he was, three he was brought on later. And yeah. it's incredibly technically impressive. Like the the stuff that he weaves in there, like he knows his he clearly knows his what he's about and he knows musical history and all of that. And I got a lot more respect for him as a composer after that. But yeah, some of his score, a lot of his score still don't quite do it for me. All right, uh, let's move on back to the top of the lineup. Phil, what is your next choice? Well, I'm, I'm going to move this up to the higher on the list than original because I, I want it to be around. Don't want it to get snapped away from me. But bump, 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 bump. Um, no, I've lost the tune. Well, oh, is that the score? Or were you move? Or is that your like <laughs> list moving sound effect? No, that's just Phil's intro. Da, yeah. da. 
It's uh, the Magnificent Seven theme is what I'm trying Ah. to do here. Joe, this is free. This didn't cost you anything. (laughs) It just goes out across the internet. We are the Magnificent Seven now. (laughs) Do I have to be? Can I? You do. All right. Nothing magnificent about it. So tell us about the Magnificent Seven, Phil. Is, is it just that theme is is indelible? Is there more to it? Yeah, no, it, it, it is It is absolutely that that theme is indelible. Some of the, the incidental music that is played throughout, but any time they, they kick into that, you're all, I am I am in for an adventure. I am in for for seven men against an army of bandits uh, defending this <laughs> the, this one town. And it, it, it is really, um, it really sets a mood, and I think that is why they just use it throughout the movie. They also do my favorite thing with soundtracks is that they have the sad version when when uh, <laughs> hmm. when when things are going. So I I I really like that. It's like the Fox football theme when someone is injured, right. but they slow it down to <laughs> a little tinkly piano. There is literally, I think, no moment in your life that would not be made awesome if that music just started playing in the background. <laughs> Yep, Mm -hmm. it's true. Mm -hmm. All right, Dan, it's your time to shine. Hi. Uh, Man, so many things to possibly pick from. All right, so Jason, you already alluded to this score, and so I'm just going to pick it because I love it, and it is the score to The Rocketeer by James Horner. Uh, I think it has one of my favorite themes of all time in in music, uh, in in like film music. Dumb. It's it's just is, is, it's is it the theme from Star Trek Two. <laughs> it is I the understand. theme from Star Trek Two. <laughs> it's a Thor uh, Khan uh, attacks the Enterprise. Yeah, with a rocket pack. Yeah, yeah, that's where he attacks. This is what I called in space, Rocketeer. I think it it perfectly captures that era, that sort of you know the serials era, as we've mentioned before, the Raiders score um it's got this truly just heroic majestic theme that sort of, that really uh is huge and brassy and big uh and it's you know like with the the magnificent seven score as phil was looting they've got different arrangements of it that they kind of serve different parts in the movie i would say the track flying circus on that album is amazing and one of those things that one of those tracks that gets used a ton in like other stuff because it's just so good and catchy. There's a lot of other good stuff in there as well. There are a couple uh, lyric pieces, but we're not allowed to include those. Um, and yeah, overall, it's just it's a delightful score that's a lot of fun to listen to and 
I that was another of my very very early purchases of a uh, of a soundtrack. This was sniped off of my list. Uh, it was not the next one I was going to pick, but but it is certainly uh, one that I like very much. And uh, I, there is more to it than just echoing Star Trek Two. Uh, Thank you. There Joe. is Thank a, you, Joe. a wonderful like Copeland esque like mm-hmm. uh, pastoral theme that's in there uh, that really uh, kicks you off at the start of the film. Uh, it gives you that sense of Americana that uh, really. Uh, lets you know what kind of a film this is that it's going to be this sort of schmaltzy uh period piece that's a little uh heightened i guess uh it's not exactly literally the 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 past um as as howard hughes says his own name when he throws a file folder into a fireplace but uh howard hughes says it's a it's a it's a good good score yeah it's got some great moments too just like uh evocative moments of stuff that's happening on the screen like the um think of like the blimp rising behind the 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 zeppelin rising behind the griffith observatory and like this very ominous music that swells as it comes into view there um yeah there's just a lot of great great moments Uh, i agree it's a good good score good score that's why i picked it in the first round anyway no it's not not, (laughs) the thing with horner is that there are moments where you're like wait a second and then it moves on and it's just like little references that you pick up and anything where he hits he's got that one move where he hits a whole bunch of piano keys (laughs) (laughs) use apollo 13 it's in sneakers it's in like it's in like half his stuff (laughs) joe it's your uh, choice all right so uh i'm gonna snipe a sequel from dan and i'm going to pick uh the lord of the rings the two towers by howard shore Right. Oh. Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, I I think that perhaps the scores that Howard Shore did for Lord of the Rings uh, and um, some unfortunate uh, follow up mm, sequel mm, no. uh, may may have gone down in some people's estimation over the years because they were so overexposed at the time, and then three awful movies came out, uh, and and so <laughs> people might not be. It might not remember it as fondly uh, as I think they should. Uh, the Two Towers is, I feel like, the the high point in terms of overall score. Uh, there are some very interesting pieces that are in the score for Return of the King, but overall, I feel like Return of the King is a mess, uh, both on the screen and in the score, uh, because of chopping it up to fit what was happening on the screen. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like The Two Towers works much better and expands on the themes and ideas that you get from uh the first uh fellowship of the ring movie uh which is also very good and i like that very much uh but this this does have the added effect of having the uh writers rohan um uh -hmm. themes and uh music going in there I had this on my list. I I had the Fellowship one, but uh, which is still in play, but I think it's far enough down I won't get to it. But I will say, I, I think it edges out Two Towers for me slightly, but the stuff at the end in Hell's Deep with Two Towers is fantastic. Um, yes. That one track, which I can't pronounce, I think it's Fourth Yorlingas. <laughs> Uh, trying to pronounce anything Tolkien wrote it's great uh, but it's like just really <laughs> good. it's the moment where I think it's the moment in the film where Gandalf comes down into Helm's Deep on the third day or whatever and it's very very good mm-hmm. and also the I will say 
I know it's lyrical, but the song that plays over the end credits, the Gollum song in that, is yeah. super creepy and well done. <laughs> As someone who who doesn't go for the fantasy genre gen- generally, I think that um, Two Towers is the best um, installment in that that trilogy, and uh, the soundtrack certainly helps. Yeah, I agree. I, I think was always the mo- I always thought that was the most boring of the books. <laughs> And yet, <laughs> well, it's the it's the maybe well be the, the middle. most boring of the books, but it's the the best it's, it's, of the yeah. It's done well. It's, on the screen. it's a really great movie. Yeah, yeah, and and the the score really does uh, tie those films together. It is part of the the thing that holds them together. Just like the you know the New Zealand setting and the they're things that are are all working together to make those movies what they are. And the the score is part of that. Um, Kathy, your turn. Uh, so along the lines of music that has been overplayed, uh, I'm going with Titanic. Um, James Horner. No, James Horner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, Jason Jason was just faking everybody out. We're actually gigantic James Horner. I still Horner have a James Horner out. on my Kirk, list, too. Oh, I've got at least one, too. <laughs> this ship is unsinkable, Kirk. <laughs> yeah, I guess kind of a pirate theme going mm-hmm. on in my world as well. Uh, but, you know, ignoring My Heart Will Go On, which, of course, oh, you say what you will that. about I mean, that. Yeah, what's no. the point of trying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just listening to the rest of the music, it's very open and heartwarming and epic. And just it, it fits the super long movie. I watched it recently and i was just like oh yeah this music's really good and uh yeah so i was like oh i gotta put that on my list so there you go titanic And My Heart Will Go On, although sung by Celine Dion, of course, therefore not eligible, is also a theme in the score and was composed by James Horner. So, you know, it it went to be an international pop hit as a theme taken out and turned into a pop hit with lyrics. So so it's all a part of the whole of the majesty of Titanic. Apropos of nothing, when my wife and I were dating... um which was about the time in the Titanic aftermath. Well, we were in different parts of California, so we would drive to see each other. And she drove down to me once, and she reports that there is a Spanish-language version of My Heart Will Go On. Oh, yeah, and it's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it, yeah, it's very good, and apparently it is interspersed with dialogue from the movie and the instrumental <laughs> yes. parts. That's a thing they do sometimes. It's really weird. It's and it's 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 all. This is a compelling music to play as I'm as I'm driving. <laughs> uh, so I please seek that out and send me the MP3 file if you can find it. You, you described you and your wife dating in the aftermath of the Titanic, and I just thought you were dating in 1912. <laughs> Strange. Anyway, <laughs> it's. It's true. No. Phil is very old. Iceberg, right ahead. <laughs> William Howard Taft introduced us, and it was his greatest act as president. Moises, it's your turn. You know, uh, coming off of uh, David talking about how he likes writing to uh, instrumental, uh, non nonverbal um, scores, uh, I I have I have come to uh, to put one recent movie into that rotation for myself. 
and that is Ramin Jawadi's score for Pacific Rim. Minus the end credits song, because it doesn't count, because it's a song. Yeah. Uh, with lyrics and stuff. Um, the rest of it's great. Uh, the end credits song is, uh, you know, an end credits song. Um, it, it's just, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fun, it's propulsive, it's electronic, it's, you know, it, it is, it is in the way that many scores of its type aren't very good, it is very good. Um, that's that's probably the best uh, way that I have to um, to describe it. It you know it, it it's a good workout song. Makes you feel like you're you're punching through giant monsters, uh, punching a, a punching bag or something like that. I don't know. It's just good. You know, I don't I don't have a terribly academic reason for drafting it. It's just good. I like uh, Ramin Jawadi, and I did not know him like like Mike J- Michael Giacchino, who I first knew because of Lost, is where I noticed his, his TV work, and I was like, oh, oh my God, he scored all these movies. Uh, Ramin Jawadi, of course, Game of Thrones and Westworld are two that uh, that are are very. I enjoy the scores of both of those very much, and he um, also did the first Iron Man, which is not a great score, unfortunately. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> But uh, some good TV scores there, and yes, Pacific Rim. All right, TV scores is a whole different, different kettle. Di- whole different. Also, yeah. doesn't count. Uh, David, your choice. What what of my picks are you going to ruin now? Oh, I'll be good. I'll be good. I don't think you're going to pick this, but I think you'll appreciate it. Uh, there are actually three albums all together. Again, I write to this. This will explain a lot. Um, they're the Car- the Carl Stalling Project albums. Uh, there are two collections, and then a third one that's Powerhouse, The Music of Raymond Scott. Basically, this is all of the Looney Tunes music. Carl Stalling was a brilliant arranger. He took uh, all these songs by Raymond Scott and all kinds of other music and sort of coalesced them into these these scores with all these you know clever references to, to other existing songs. But a lot of the songs that we know from Looney Tunes are you know, like Powerhouse or Dinner Music for a Pack of Hungry Cannibals. Those are all Raymond Scott com- compositions. No lyrics. They're just, he was a novelty band leader in the 30s and 40s. And th- these are just, again, brilliant at conveying mood and tone and style and uh, telling a story with silence going on otherwise. You know, nothing, you know, there's no dialogue, especially in things like the, the Coyote and the Roadrunner. Those are totally silent, other than the music. Right. And wait, yeah, uh, but what? What film? What film? Yeah, yeah point what of order. Film. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm uh. gonna allow this because the Warner Brothers cartoons were all short films shown before other films, and I think this is a I, and and he's picking scores, so I think I'm gonna allow it. It's a it's novel, but I'll allow it. Well, and, <laughs> oh and for God. instance, I mean, how many times you you might not know the name Powerhouse, but you know that song because it's been in dozens, dozens of these, maybe hundreds. We 
also we also would have accepted Daffy Duck's movie Fantastic Island from 1983. Ah, yes. <laughs> or, or Daffy Duck's Quackbusters. Yes. Uh, the Looney Looney Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie. Mm-hmm. I uh, I I will allow it. I am uh, so. It's my choice now, and we're we're um, nearing the end. Well, maybe maybe we have time for one lightning round before we bring out your dead. I'm going to make a, a pact here, which is I'm going to say that uh, all the rest of my picks are going to be from people who are pop musicians who became uh, people who score movies. Uh, that Ooh. that gives me that gives me many to choose from. I'm going to choose Stuart Copeland here on the oh, I, I, I have a guess. I, I have a guess where you're going, but go. Uh, I, I, well, I have I have several here sitting here, but I am going with this pick. I'm going to pick uh, a fantastic superhero movie soundtrack and you're saying to yourself wait how how could there be a fantastic superhero music soundtrack well there are some it's the fantastic john, four john williams did, did a <laughs> great john one. williams superman is really excellent but uh, no oh, i okay. dearly dearly you're... love danny elfman's batman that's on my long list and it is very influential of course to batman the animated series and all of that it's it's such yep. a great i mean i love oingo boingo too but it's such a great i was about to say you oingo boingo it all uh, over I my did. next, next the, uh it, it's 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 really good it is it uh it's dark and uh appropriate for that movie it is one of the best things about that movie and re-watching it some of the movie hasn't aged well but those have and it's funny because also there's a great great soundtrack with prince songs that you can listen to they've released mm. both i remember buying the danny elfman cassette of the score of batman because i liked it so much and i still do it's really good and uh yeah It is, it is very good. It's um, it's kind of become an easy target to kick because um, we we make the James Horner jokes, but Danny Elfman soundtracks really sort of have that dun 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 yep. dun dun dun. Yep. Ant, ant, ant. He's perfect yep. uh, perfect uh, for Tim Burton movies too. And one Ex- of the things exactly. I like about Batman the the film is that it is Tim Burton under great restraint. Which uh, mm-hmm. is not always the case. Ironically, I believe I played that in an inconceivable round about soundtracks, and nobody got the Batman movie. Yeah, shame really? on them. No. It's great. Oh, wow. There's, it's a really yeah. good. It's a really good soundtrack, and it influenced uh, about a decade's worth of superhero movies. Yeah, so. totally, totally. Well, d- well done, you. Thank you. I loved. I love Danny Elfman. And on my long list, I wasn't going to pick it on a short list, but on my long list was Beetlejuice which is very similar to the Carl Stalling, Raymond Scott stuff. But Batman was right there. That's, yeah. Yep. All right, we'll do one quick final round, and then we'll bring out the dead. Uh, Phil, last choice for you. Uh, since I have to I have to choose just one in a Sophie's Choice-like uh, scenario. Oh, it's, it's the, the score from the, Sophie's the Choice. It's from Sophie's Choice. No. <laughs> we'll come back, and you'll get to list the I, rest. I understand. You know. I, I know. I'm, I'm familiar with how right. your drafts work, sir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am, I am. I think I have to go with uh, Marvin Hamlish taking Scott Joplin rags yes! for the for the Sting, because yes! 
A- answer me this, audience or panel. Uh, when you go and you pull something off and you, you, you manage to talk your way out of a thing or find a $5 bill landing on the street, does not the theme from the – does not a, a sting song start playing in your head? Oh, yeah. It's usually Roxanne. Sometimes it's every breath you take. <laughs> yeah. So – that that is uh, that is Marvin Hamlish and um, and and the sting to me. He's using Scott Joplin's uh, ragtime stuff as the basis for it. Yes, and also perfectly suited to the movie, even though Scott Joplin's stuff was about 20 years ahead of when the the movie is actually set. But, eh! Yeah, I I was just going to say, the music is not at all from the era, and yet it's perfect. Perfect. Exactly. It's perfect. That might be one of the most perfect film scores. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why Phil picked it. No, I agree. That's a great one. Although, uh, although one warning: if you buy the the, the CD, um, one of the tracks on there is the music that the um, merry-go-round plays. On the, mm-hmm. the that uh, Gandalf, mm-hmm. uh, Harry Gandalf, uh, uh, is in charge of fixing, and that Harry is three- Gandalf. Gondorf. Gondorf. Excuse me. And um, <laughs> but I sorry. would totally watch Harry Gandalf. You yeah, shall no. <laughs> not ride the horses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's one sting to rule them all. But uh, yeah, uh, three minutes of uh, three minutes of uh, merry-go-round music on a on a CD. Dan, it's your choice. Uh, I'm going to pick one that nobody else was going to pick, but I just I really like it. It's one of my most listened to soundtracks of the last few years, and that is Joe Kramer's score to Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. I've listened to yes. all of the Mission Impossible scores, and that one is hands down the best. He does the best job of capturing the theme. He uses a lot of the incidental music from the original TV series. I like it way better than Giacchino's score for Ghost Protocol. Way better than the travesty of a score that was Fallout. It's a score in that is so bad. Uh, we're not even going to talk about Mission Impossible 2. Uh, and actually, Danny Elfman did the score for the original Mission Impossible, which is not bad. I would rank it's that pretty bad. close to the top. Um, yeah. But the Joe Kramer score is fantastic. It's just... It's really like gets you in that mood, like like Phil's, you know, feeling like you got away with something. Anytime you want to feel like you are a badass on a special mission, <laughs> the Rogue Nation score is your perfect friend there, and I highly recommend it. It's delightful. does such a beautiful job of using like random incidental music from the series right it's just like little themes pop up Giacchino does that in three and four yeah. a little bit but, but not yeah, as well Kramer uses it he, not as well. it's a shame that they did not bring him back for the most recent one because he is really good at it all right uh Joe your pick uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick uh, a Star Trek uh, score, and uh, it's not going to be the motion picture. I'm going to go with uh, Jerry Goldsmith's and Joel Goldsmith's score for Star Trek First Contact. Um, All right. They were on a compressed schedule, so they had to work together, uh, nice. and I don't think 
this would be the one Jerry Goldsmith would pick as his favorite, but uh, I, I, I like it <laughs> more than I think the others. Uh, there's some really saccharine stuff in the motion picture that I don't love, and uh, there is a lot of generic action stuff that sounds like Total Recall in the Insurrection score, so the, this, this edges it out. I like this a lot. There are some really nice things that I think people don't widely think of as as Star Trek music, but like the theme for First Contact is is very it's nice. Really it doesn't good. It's not it's a beautiful theme. Like a Star Trek theme in in many ways and yet it's it's really good. When you hear it you're like, "Oh yeah, it puts you in the mood. You realize the movie that you're going to watch." It, it's like, yeah, it's very good. I, I agree. I think that's a good I think that's a good sneaky pick of doing the Jerry Goldsmith Star Trek theme uh Star Trek score without getting their motion picture which has got some good stuff in it too but yeah great pick joe i endorse dan endorses you win joe wins the draft (laughs) (laughs) yay Uh, but now here's kathy who probably won't win the draft but i'm okay with that Uh, my first introduction yay victory lap take your last pick (laughs) wait wait a minute uh my first introduction to what uh it meant to like have a film score and to like really enjoy the music other than just the songs that you can sing along to was the Lion King. Um, I had the audio cassette and would flip over to the instrumental side because the first, the, uh, first side had all of the songs you could sing along to and then the other side had all the instrumental and I would fall asleep to the instrumental side of the Lion King. And, uh, yeah, it's very lovely and makes me happy. I'll allow it. It's a movie, uh, even and, and a cartoon, so it, it all counts. Yeah. Moises, your your choice. Uh, my last one. Uh, going back to superheroes, if uh, somebody sniped Batman from me, I was definitely going to say Superman, the movie from 1978. Uh, it's just it, it it laid the groundwork for superhero scores. It set the standard uh, to where you know, thankfully with with Batman '89, we got a really great score from Danny Elfman. Um, and then when that Spider-Man movie by Sam Raimi finally came out, people were like, oh, Danny Elfman's doing the score. I bet it's going to have a great superhero theme like Superman before it and Batman before it. And then it didn't. didn't no, <laughs> it just didn't. And uh, and it, it set the um, the standard of of uh, superheroes on film. Uh, sure, they're wearing Lycra. Uh, sure, it, it's a little bit ridiculous, uh, but it's it's the kind of ridiculous that can be entertaining and lovely, and uh, it's the kind of individualism that, as many things as I like about the Marvel Cinematic Universe of of movies, um, I, I feel like that's that's one of the things that that they could they could do a little bit better on is is solid thematic scoring for these characters who are 
distinct and different and interesting. Um, and uh, when you've got themes as different as the ones for Superman and Batman, um, you know, I, I feel like I feel like they, you know, they 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 could probably pull something like that off. But um, you know, maybe maybe that's just not what they're going for. The um, downside to that pick is the um, apparently that whole da na 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 that has lyrics, um, which Margot Kidder actually like reads in the movie. The the whole "Can you read my mind?" that that old bit mm. that 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 is a serious demerit. Although on on the bright side, my daughter and I sing the Superman theme to each other with lyrics um, along the lines of "Superman, I am a man." Supergirl, <laughs> I am a girl. I am a man. I am a girl. I'm Superman. I'm Supergirl. And that 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 is that is a thing we do. <laughs> so pros and cons of lyrics and songs in the yes, Superman. Exactly. I think what, it's, it's a double edged sword, Jason. What I always feel like is that between Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Star Wars themes, um, John Williams's Superman theme gets lost a little bit or forgotten. Yeah. Or if you try to do the Raiders theme, you may end up finding yourself singing the Superman theme or vice versa because they're uh, similar. But the Superman stuff is great. It is, it is great. That is a movie that you know. It is of its era, but um, that that yeah, it is. Uh, it's great. It it really is great, and that's a great theme. And I think just uh, people forget about it because John Williams had his other big franchises. But it's great, David. I'm I'm gonna go with a more modern film, uh, and and it's a Steven Soderbergh film from 2001, Ocean's Eleven, with Holmes. a score by David Holmes. Uh, they had worked together on Out of Sight mm-hmm. a couple of years earlier, which is also a terrific score. Yes, it I mean, is. if I could pick them as a twofer, you know, again, those are two that I own and write to. Um, there's, but there's just something about, I think Out of Sight is a better film, but I think Ocean's Eleven, the music is better matched to it. When he did Out of Sight, he was still, he was hired as a DJ. He wasn't even meant to write any of the score and he wound up doing enough that Soderbergh liked that he was like, oh, yeah, write, write some music. Go on. And Ocean's Eleven, now he's had a couple of years to work on this, and he's he's really got the tone down. The music in that film matches the mood. I think a lot of the hipness and the fun of that that film comes from the music. And and it just sets the mood beautifully. Again, it's one of those where, where you, you watch it silently, you take the music away. It's good, but it, you know. It's just not the same. I think that's one where the music works better in the movie than it does necessarily on its own, but it's a oh, good absolutely. combo. And I will say, absolutely. I just recently listened to the Ocean's Eight score, which is actually pretty mm. good. It's pretty I good. Liked it, I liked it a lot. It's got it. Yeah. It definitely takes its cues from the like it follows thematically the whole Ocean's Eleven thing, but yet does its own thing at the same time, which is nice. All right, very nice. And I'm going to wrap it up with a 
a soundtrack from one of my favorite musical artists who has occasionally scored films, but very rarely. And it is the Peter Gabriel score for Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ, which Mm, I have been listening to a lot over the last, whatever, 25, 30 years. And uh, I like it a lot. He, He went... This was uh, at a period where Peter Gabriel was super digging deep into world music, into the music of uh, the Middle East, uh, to find source material and to work with artists from the region in order to create something that would feel very much like the setting of Last Temptation of Christ. And while that movie ended up being kind of uh, incredibly controversial, the soundtrack, <laughs> which which I believe was released like almost a year later after the movie came out because Peter Gabriel is a perfectionist and can't release anything. is a great album there's some really remarkable songs on it it's one of those uh including some songs that i really that you know wish sort of wish they had lyrics because they would be among my very favorite peter gabriel songs but it's a movie soundtrack they don't they are uh they are part of the score and it uh it really works i i like it a lot it's got a lot of different textures to it it is a beautiful instrumental album that works in the context of uh the film i would say it's uh not my favorite film it's fine um, if, if you think the Green Goblin might also have been Jesus, uh, you should see it. <laughs> well, uh, after a no, few my, drinks. Well, Jason, my, there are certain <laughs> strains of Lutheranism that that is actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, my, I, I church would have been so much better as a kid. <laughs> we don't believe that Green Goblin was the son of God, but we do think that he was a man who had some interesting things to <laughs> yeah, say. However, the hobgoblin is more of <laughs> yes, our... That's right. That's the apocrypha. Yeah. Uh, let's, it's time to bring, bring out your dead. Phil, what, what, what didn't you pick that uh, you should have picked? Okay. Uh, I'll try and make this very quick. Um, you know, the soundtrack from my favorite movie, Miller's Crossing by Carter Burrell. Um, I had Jerry Goldsmith from Patton. Everyone loves that. Uh, while we're doing stirring movies of that era, Maurice, uh, is it Jarre? Jerry? Maurice Jarre. Uh, Jarre? Yeah. Uh, Old Mo Jerry yep. uh, with his Lawrence Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> oh, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. uh, yep. I think it was uh, – we mentioned Bernard Herman earlier. You could either go north by northwest or taxi driver. You can't go wrong. Um, Vangelis with Blade Runner and Chariots of Fire. Come on, man. Yeah. And uh, I, I was very tempted to, um, uh, since I started with Ennio Morricone, to end with uh, another Ennio Morricone. No, not the one you're thinking of. Um, the Mission uh, yep. is one oh, of that his is a uh, good soundtrack. It is very, very good. Very best works. So that's that's my list. Dan, uh, things that got sniped: the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and Raiders for me. Um, I also had Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, which is a great score. I had Fellowship of the Ring. I had James Horner's Sneakers score, which I actually think is really interesting because it's got a Branford Marsalis on it. It's a very different sound than a lot of his other stuff. Uh, James Newton Howard's Lady in the Water score is really good. Mm. Uh, I had Star Trek The Motion Picture, which I like a lot more than Joe does, apparently. (laughs) Um, 
a a couple more john williams uh last crusade amistad and a movie i haven't seen but i really love the score warhorse really good score um <laughs> thomas newman's road to perdition score which is really nice oh yeah uh christoph beck's ant-man score might be one of the best scores in the marvel universe and i know that's a low bar but it's a fun score uh james horner's apollo 13 and then a couple guilty pleasures uh dragon heart by randy edelman and the rock by hans zimmer and I want to throw this out here. I know this is kind of breaking the rules briefly, but I feel it necessary to acknowledge all of the scores. I think pretty much 100% of the scores we've drafted have been written by men. Uh, this is unfortunate. There is really not enough mm. opportunity for female composers out there. And I know there are some. Uh, I think Rachel Portman is one of the better known of them. Yeah. Um, mm. But I, I, I would actually love if our if our listeners, if anybody has good suggestions for scores written by women, please let us know. I would definitely like to listen to a few. But I will call it two female composers who I did not pick because they didn't have movie scores that I loved. But Yoko Kano, the Japanese composer, yes. who did uh, anime series like Cowboy Bebop and Macross Plus, is a phenomenal composer. And uh, Shirley Walker, who did the music for Batman the Animated Series. And the score for the Mask of the Phantasm, which we discussed at one point. So that is a movie. And I just listened listen to that score. It was actually pretty pretty great, as you might expect. But I will throw them out there as two female composers that I really like. So more suggestions, please send them our way. Great. Joe? Uh, I am going to list uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score for Total uh, Recall. Um, it's weird. Super weird. Uh, the... Uh, Starship Troopers by Basil Pardurus, um, mm-hmm. The Omen by Jerry Goldsmith, uh, Predator by Alan Silvestri, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country by Cliff Eidelman, which I feel like is not given its due um, very often. So and, good. Yeah, it's a very Star Trekky score without sounding like other Star Trek scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is uh, Little Mermaid uh, by Alan Menken and Enchanted by Alan Menken, which I took off of my list because of somebody's rules that they had at the beginning but uh <laughs> the actual <laughs> the actual scoring that is in there is is very good by alan menken um you can listen to any of the the dramatic work und- dramatic underscoring that he's doing and it's, it's always good all right yeah the rule makers are jerks kathy your choices <laughs> <laughs> they are but I, i'm glad they allowed me to put the lion king in there so i'll give them forgiveness uh chocolat by rachel portman was on my list so there's one lady um which is just a beautiful soundtrack or score whatever you officially want to call it Eh, don't beat me up um jurassic park lawrence of arabia was also on mine uh a brother where art thou but i was gonna have to fight with the vocalizations versus instrumental didn't want to do that uh catch me if you can and uh all of harry potter i couldn't pick one so (laughs) all right john williams He's everywhere. Moises. Uh, only some of those are yeah. John Williams, though. Your choice. Right. Um, uh, some some that uh, have already been mentioned. Star Trek VI, Lawrence of Arabia. I, I did have uh, Shirley Walker on there for Batman Mask of the Phantasm um, as, as kind of partial credit for uh, a lot of the stuff that's in the Batman animated series. Uh, people kind of conflate with what's in Danny Elfman's great, wonderful score for Batman the movie. Mm. Um, but uh, it's it's stuff that, uh, that she created, and it kind of gets lost in the in the world of branding and uh crossovers and that sort of thing uh i have a a john williams laundry list uh of sorts um some of the stuff that's more off the beaten path that i don't think he gets recognized for ai artificial intelligence uh both the score and the movie much much better than i think uh, a lot of people uh gave either credit for um uh jurassic park 
Schindler's List, especially. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Schindler's Fantastic List. Uh, yeah. Just absolutely uh, that. I I don't know if the Blu-ray has a score only track on it. That's one of my favorite features on uh, on physical media discs at this point uh, are score only track options. Um, I, I sorted other things written in scrawl that I can't read uh, at this point. But uh, the one the one that absolutely nobody else mentioned uh, that uh, that as it's it's Halloween time uh, comes to mind is uh, Wojciech uh, Kilar's score for Bram Stoker's Dracula, or as I call mm. it, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, yep. <laughs> because mm. two possessives <laughs> two possessives is just way funnier. Um, I, you know, uh, people people like to go, but but his hair was like a butt. Okay, great. Um, uh, fine, but the, the, the movie, the movie, uh, itself is really wonderful. And the, the atmosphere lent to it by that score is, uh, it is, it is an indelible part of that movie just as much as those outstanding, outstanding, amazing costumes, uh, and, uh, and the production design in general. Right, David. Uh, yeah, I've got. I I won't even repeat any of the ones I already crossed off. But Anatomy of a Murder by Duke Ellington, oh, which yes. might be his only film score, I think. Um, and on on that note, Tune In Tomorrow by Wynton Marsalis. Uh, again, not a great film. Uh, it's a an American adaptation of Aunt Julia and the Scriptwriter uh, from Brazil, which is far better. Um, but I thought you were telling score. people what was coming up on the live feed. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's called Tune In Tomorrow. It doesn't make much sense. It doesn't connect anything, but it's a great score. Um, Unfaithfully Yours, the 1984 oh. remake, which, again, not a great film, but a really wonderful score. Pick. Wonderful wow. score. Okay. I, right? Sure. Yeah. No, hell yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, an American in Paris, not the songs, just the orchestral parts. Thank you. Um, the, the concerto and F sequence, I love. And, and it's also, I think the Perry Mason theme is stolen from the middle of the concerto and F. Go figure. Um, Beetlejuice, which I did mention before. 1941 by John Williams, which, hate the film, that march is a great Don't, march. Go just, seek it out. Yeah, that's a really good um, march. And it's got it's that's actually how I taught the children about leitmotifs was just listen to this. Let's go through this piece. And it was the 1941 march. Um, the Red Shoes, which is a film about ballet. Oh. It's an amazing mm. film and it's gorgeous for the for its era. I can't believe I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I have a whole Powell and Pressburger side of a note card that I just realized I read nothing from. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you could do Black and Narcissus, too. Uh, Colonel Blimp. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, Basil Stairway Polidoris' to heaven, score. AKA, uh, Matter of Life and Death. Right. Basil Polidoris' score from The Hunt for Red October. That's good. It's too which short is on the album. Haunting. Yeah, version. it is. It really is. Half an hour. Um, the the uh, original 1964 Pink Panther. I mean, how is Henry Mancini not on this show otherwise? But that's, if you're going to pick one, that's the indelible theme. But I also love the... Uh, it had better be tonight, which is also an instrumental throughout the movie. Uh, that's a, that's an earworm for me almost as much as the, the main theme. Uh, Max Steiner's score for Casablanca, which mm-hmm. he included as time goes by under protest, but yep. man, he did wonders with it. And and the the score from Backdraft, which is a film I have never seen. But that is all the music from the from Japanese Iron, Iron Chef, Chef yes. is from Backdraft. Yes. And it's yes. amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it counts as a TV score as a result. 
But David managed to skirt the rules and not only get Looney Tunes music, but also Iron (laughs) Chef theme music in here. Right. You're you're lucky I didn't bring up Jazz Impressions of New York by David And you just did. And mentioned an unfaithfully yours, a Dudley Moore movie, and hasn't been chased by a mob. Horrible (laughs) film. Well done. Horrible film. All right. Yeah, terrible. The Preston Sturgis one is so much better. I love when David's on, because we get to talk about terrible movies. I have have four. uh, Many of them have been mentioned, so... my Star Wars pick was going to be Star Wars Episode One, actually, because yes. I, it's, a good score. it's a really good score for a not good movie. Um, <laughs> the unfaithfully yours of Star Wars movies, really. Well, Jason, uh, uh, just a point of information. Everybody should remember that score. It, the CD was out before the movie was, and yes. so we were listening to that score going, we oh, liked man, it. if this is what Yay. it sounds like. Oh, oh my God. Funeral. Oh. Funeral. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> right. Um, oh, man. Dan mentioned Apollo 3. 13 james horner it's really good uh, i i like that a lot it is that that's a that's a really good um i think <laughs> yep it's got that oh, in it too but how did i not mention the right stuff oh yeah oh, sure god oh yeah oh well there it is the right stuff okay. it, well, yeah. list. um terrible astronauts movie. the uh what? speaking of astronauts <laughs> i uh i really do like michael giacchino's score for the original uh jj abrams star trek film i think yeah. it's I do very too. very it's good great theme that, that the rest final, of it's only the end okay. credits, when it starts soaring, I just, it, it almost lifted me out of my seat in the theater that night. I, I, I get Dan's criticism. I don't agree with it. I like the whole Fair. thing. But it is, it is, it does lean very heavily on the one theme, but I, I think it's yes, very good. It's a really good theme. And, it's a real, I'll give you that. It's a really and, great theme. And um, my other oddball pop musician uh, score that I'm going to mention is Mark Mothersbaugh's score for that's, Rushmore. That's what I thought. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yep. yes. yeah, well yeah, done. A good, I thought you were going to go with uh, Toto's Dune. <laughs> well, oh, God. Yeah. So, uh, receiving I, votes, I have, Toto's mm. Dune. No. Uh, Mothersbaugh Mother's is a, a a quirky composer, and Rushmore is a super quirky movie, and they go together because it's super strange, and I enjoy that combination. His Ragnarok score, Thor Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok score, oh, score is really pretty, good too. It's yeah. Pretty good. Mm, it's pretty good. And, and I just, score, I just want to point out, we, we've mentioned every John Williams movie, but none of us idiots mentioned Jaws. Oops. That's what I was going to say during the credits was, and we managed to not bring up Jaws. We did this right, guys. Amazing. Yeah. I, I, and I almost forgot Alexander Desplat's score for Moonrise Kingdom, okay. which is lovely. But then you didn't. You got it right. Yeah. And, and and you you mentioned Rushmore, and it made me immediately go, "Oh yeah, I meant to say Carter Burwell's Big Lebowski score," uh, because mm. as great as the movie is, people forget that the score's there, but it's it's a big part of what makes it so good. So what we're saying here is, uh, movie scores are good, and you can write to them, and you can work to them, and you can listen <laughs> to them, and they also make the movies more exciting. And uh, music is an important part of the movies, and don't forget it. John Williams yeah. could stand to do a few more soundtracks, though. Yeah, John Williams, he's a slacker. Get, I think he earned residuals yeah. just on us talking about him <laughs> yeah I heard, I heard he's retiring yeah okay buddy we'll try actually having a career first mm. <laughs> right. indeed indeed all right i would like to thank my panelists for drafting uh, film scores phil michaels thank you thank you jason dan Morin, thank you and scene joe Steele, thank you pleasure to be here kathy campbell thank you thank you moises chuyan thank you <laughs> david lore thank you I'm I'm holding on to my iconic theme for the end credits.
And Adagio, Adagio. And uh, I have been your host, Jason <laughs> Snell. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll leave you now with the incomparable podcast theme song composed by Christopher Breen. <laughs> <laughs>